Hey there! Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. On this podcast, we go in depth with leading experts from all walks of life to understand and improve your health and well being. Okay, are you ready for an episode all about vaginal health, vaginal myths, and the vaginal microbiome with Dr. Karina Dunlap? I hope so, because she answers all of your questions. Dr. Dunlap graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine and completed a residency in women's health. She then went on to do a two-year postdoctoral research fellowship and has a master's degree in integrative medical research. She's a medical advisor and research consultant to the well-loved brands Lola and Skin Tea. She's also the co-owner of Be A Wellness. It was an absolute pleasure talking with her today as she discussed everything you needed to know about the vagina but didn't learn in school. Here's a clip from today's conversation. The vaginal microbiome mainly consists of, and what we want it to consist of is mostly lactobacillus, lactobacilli strains. Those strains basically feed off of the glycogen, which are sloughed from the the cells of the vagina. Basically, they feed off of that and produce and create and maintain a certain pH. So it really has to do with the way the tissue is, the health of the tissue, the health of the the secretions from those tissue, from the tissue, and that the bugs, the lactobacilli, feed off of that and maintain a very, what we consider healthy, normal pH for the vagina. And they really keep it. It's nothing that has to be maintained from the outside. Honestly, the less we bug that whole environment, the less we bother it, the less we kind of mess with it with any sort of products, the better, honestly. It's a very much like a self-cleaning vault. That's just a small taste of the amazing show that we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health, and Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Dr. Karina Dunlap, I am so excited to have you on today. I am thrilled to be here. This is so exciting. You and I share a brain in so many ways, and it's just so fun to be together chatting. I know, and especially because today we're going to talk about a subject that honestly doesn't get enough attention, which is the vagina and the vaginal microbiome. Agreed. Agreed that it doesn't get enough attention. I I am so ready to chat chat about this. Well, I have some pretty serious questions that people ask, people write in the DMs, people write in the comments, and they're very straightforward. It just goes to show how much we don't get taught from a young age, for those of us who have a vagina, like what it is, what it does, how to keep it healthy, what causes infection. And so I'm going to ask you all the real, the real live taboo questions, if you're okay with it. Of course, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So to start though, since some people may not know who you are, may not be following you. Give us a quick introduction of like, who are you? What do you do? What do you specialize in? What do you stand for? 
Yes. So I am a naturopathic doctor and a researcher. I got both degrees simultaneously at the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. I went on postgraduately to do a postgraduate research fellowship as well as a residency. And within that residency, which was focused on both primary care and women's health, I did fellowships with reproductive endocrinologists, general endocrinologists, and some gastroenterology specialists. And my focus ever since has really been to provide really well-rounded care to women of all ages and stages of life. And also I bring that gastroenterology focus into my women's health care. So it's very hormone specific, but there's that huge overlap between the gut and our hormones, the gut and our brain. And I bring that into my practice full force as I start everybody's care plans really focused on the gut. Yeah. And my research has I did a lot of writing and research, very involved in studies when I initially during school and postgraduately and have been very, very clinically focused now. But I do suspect that I'll be coming back into some more very focused research as I move along in my career. I love that. It's very much needed too, right? It's very much needed in in the field of clinical work, but research work and then pulling that into education. Exactly. I love that. And clinical work. And the patients appreciate. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Patients just appreciate it so much. (laughs) Oh, so much. Huge. I mean, even the today on the podcast, it's going to be so helpful because some of the questions I have, which was, we will get to it is like the vagina through the years. I do have questions about women as they transition into menopause. They're like, things are not the same down there. Like what's going on? Or gut health. I get asked this a lot. Like my gut, I give gas and bloating yeah. or infection or whatever. And like, is it possible that ties over to the vaginal microbiome? And so I'm going to, I'm going to pick your brain absolutely about these questions. But first things first, we have to set up the anatomy because <laughs> people get this wrong all the time. So tell us the difference between the vagina, the vulva, and the uterus. Of course. And I just have to say, like, I so appreciate, I have two young girls and it has been so refreshing to hear their teachers from a very early age. We took them to Montessori, we sent them to Montessori school and they were always very focused on the exact terminology of the anatomy. So, and they learned how to like potty train and things like that at their Montessori school. So it was really very much appreciated. And I'm really glad to see that out in the public. But basically, because I don't feel like I learned this very well when I was little. Do you? No. Oh my <laughs> okay. gosh. I'm like, good, things are changing. But basically, so the everything on the outside of the body pretty much is considered the vulva. So that consists of really where where women wipe. It's everything that is external. So that consists of labia. Um, there's inner and outer, that's a clitoris, that is the opening of the vagina. So we're not actually wiping the vagina when we pee. So it's really the vulva. Um, that is the vulva. Internally, we have a cavity that is the vagina. Basically, I call it sometimes the vaginal vault. I, it's a cavity that is also has different type of microbiome and the skin is different. The actual, like it looks different from the outside and then it looks different And when we get to the uterus. So Then we have in between the vaginal vault and the uterus, we have the cervix, which is basically a long tube that ends in the vagina. And if you could look at it, it would look like a very, very small donut. (laughs) If you, when you look at it from the vagina, so when you do go get your pap, they look at the cervix, they sample the cervix. It looks like this very little donut inside. And it's a very, very, very strong muscle, muscular tube that is meant to keep a baby in the uterus when someone is pregnant. And that is where also the baby passes through, which is why also it's very, very painful to dilate that very, very strong muscle. But that is the cervix. And then above that is another cavity, which 
isn't a cavity that remains open. It's actually like kind of squished and compressed. Everybody thinks about the uterus as like this open cavity, but it gets very squished and compressed and it's the uterus. And that actually has a very different microbiome and tissue inside as well from the vagina and from the vulva. So we have basically like three separate structures in addition to the cervix. The cervix is, I think of it as an extension of the uterus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the microbiome, which I'm really excited to really hone in on, we hear the word microbiome and we often think gut, but then of course, through the pandemic, people talked about this, the lung microbiome, and there's a skin microbiome, and there's a sinus microbiome. But today we're talking about the vaginal microbiome. So what is the vaginal microbiome? What constitutes, what makes that up? Yeah. So the vaginal microbiome mainly consists of, and what we want it to consist of is mostly lactobacillus, lactobacilli strains. Those strains basically feed off of the glycogen, which are sloughed from the sub, like from the cells of the vagina. Basically, they feed off of that and produce and create and maintain a certain pH. So it really has to do with the way the tissue is, the health of the tissue, the health of the, the secretions from those tissue, from the tissue, and that the bugs, the lactobacilli, feed off of that and maintain a very what we consider healthy, normal pH for the vagina. And they really keep it. It's nothing that has to be maintained from the outside. Honestly, the less we bug that whole environment, the less we bother it, the less we kind of mess with it with any sort of products, the better, honestly. It's a very much like a self-cleaning vault. (laughs) I use that word vault a lot. (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of... And I love that you point out it's, and it's when we get to that, when I get to my menopausal question, this will play in a role too, but the cells on the wall of the vagina Mm -hmm. release glycogen and the bacteria lactobacillus eat it up so that they can in turn maintain the health of the internal environment. And so it's this, just like you said, it's like this self circle, the self cleaning, the self eating, self feeding. You don't really have to do a lot and and it'll take care of itself, but it does change in menopause, which I'm going to bring up, but I want to go back to first. The acidity. So how acidic? What do you mean by acidic? How acidic is the vagina? (laughs) Yeah, people, I think they think of acidity and they automatically think, oh no, that's not a good thing. But actually it's such a good thing in certain parts of our bodies, right? We really want more of an acidic environment. And typically the pH, it's, it's on the acidic end, but acidic to neutral, I would say. And the pH typically ranges from 4.0 to 4.5. So if you were to measure it on pH paper, for example, that's what you would see to be a common kind of what we look for actually when we do the testing for somebody, it's typically about 4.0 to 4.5. And if that pH changes, that can really mess us up. Exactly. So that acidity is extremely important for inhibiting the growth of certain organisms. So specifically, we talk a lot about Gardnerella vaginosis or Gardnerella is one of the bugs that perpetuate a bacterial vaginosis, which is the most common infection that women can get produces like a fishy odor and discharge and irritation. And that when the pH rises above that 4.5, really, it's really like 5.0, 5.5 or above. And you can see that really easily on a pH paper just by doing a self-swab. Honestly, you can do it at home. That in addition to an odor that would tell you, okay, we've likely got some BV going on here. And yeah, that, so it's really important, the pHs. So speaking of the acidity, I have been asked before multiple times, you probably have too, like women will have colored underwear, like black or red or green or whatever. And they're like, how come it's, how come it, it stains? What's staining this is what's going on with, you know, to make it a lighter color. I'm like, oh, it's, it's because your secretions are actually acidic. And yeah, you know, do you hear, do you get that question? 
I know I, I was thinking about that question. I don't hear that a whole lot, but it's true. You know, we're, we're on the slightly acidic side, which is actually a good thing and to not be concerned about. So I know like people who are very focused on alkaline diet, they'll be testing their urine for more alkaline urine or alkaline secretions. And there are certain parts of the body we really want to be acidic because they're actually very good at inhibiting and fighting growth of organisms we don't want there. Right, right. So speaking of that, like what in, I'm going to ask you a series of questions on like what influences the vaginal microbiome, it, positively or negatively, because we hear about douching or we hear about using lubrication. But let's start with the first, first question, like vaginal birth versus C-section birth. Is that going to impact down the road your vaginal microbiome? We hear about gut microbiome or skin microbiome, of course, but what about the vaginal microbiome? Yes. So we know that babies who are born by a vaginal birth are set up for their microbiome, both of the gut, the skin, and their own, if it's a girl baby too, just the anatomy is also more set up for that kind of a healthy microbiome all over the entire body. There are ways to compensate for that for babies born by a C-section. So I don't want mamas to worry and get, because obviously there are many things we can't control when it comes to birth. But yeah, there are doctors who allow like the vaginal, a vaginal swab and then swab the baby's mouth. And then that whole translation from the baby's mouth to their gut, to their, both the anal tissue, the perineum and the vaginal tissue, then translate over into that baby's own microbiome. So yes, we we know there's a lot of research on babies born via C-section versus vaginal birth. And, but I just, Whenever I talk about it, I just know that moms put so much pressure on themselves when it comes to what type of birth they have. And there's a lot of emotion there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I talk to moms mm-hmm. about that all the time. They feel so guilty if they go into a C-section. I'm like, there are lots of ways we can help your baby be very healthy and have a very healthy microbiome. So yes, I love that. I love that you pointed that out because as you said, mamas do worry, right? They see this on social media or they read it. And if you need a C-section, you need a C-section. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. So That's why you're listening to this. So we can talk about ways to support (laughs) a healthy microbiome. Exactly. If you know you have a C-section schedule, but you're going to have one, you've had one before, you know you're going to have to have another one. Just talk to your doctor about ways to protect that baby's microbiome. And they may not be really up to date on the research. They may not be, but they might be. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more that's being talked about. And the more questions they get, honestly, the more that they're going to look into it and the more that they might be open-minded to hearing and talking about that. Maybe if there's a, a swab that could be done or can you use, and this is something you would tell your pediatrician about, can you use probiotics at an early, early age for your, for your baby B who is born in the SC section? Good to know. Okay. What about antibiotic use? Oh yes, certainly antibiotic use can alter the health. So alter our, both our gut and our vaginal microbiome, which is in part why, honestly, there can be like a yeast, a yeast infection post antibiotic use, because it alters the entire, the microbiome of the gut and of the vaginal vault. When you have, let's say you have a patient that requires antibiotics, Mm -hmm. do you recommend prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics? Do you recommend fermented foods? All of it. Okay. Yeah, I do. I recommend it all during and after antibiotic use. It's just, I always just say like whenever you're, if you're going to take a very good, healthy, multi-strained probiotic, of course, everybody's a little bit different as to what that means. But I I often will focus on the strains that are more abundant and the lactobacillus strains that are more abundant and important for the vaginal vault. And like Rutiri, Remnosis, Plantarum, those are some of the more and really important ones. And I just make sure that it's like a female specific strain. So a lot of companies will market for those as well. 
And I just, and I have them take it away from their antibiotic and then really dose it a little bit higher. And then also make sure that we're protecting them in other ways too. So there are other things that can perpetuate that um, can candida or candida infection post um, antibiotic use as well. So can you say those strains again, just for people who are trying to frantically write that down? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rutiri, Rhamnosus, Planetarum, those are some of the most important. Love it. Love it. And I love that you also said that that companies will actually label the probiotic often for female or female related, or sometimes they'll even say vaginal, vaginal depending on what the company totally. is. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. they can make it a little easy for you. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. So coming back to the different like types of ways that things can be altered that the vaginal microbiome can be altered. There are both infectious and non-infectious causes. And so I think it's important to think about those in two different categories because the microbiome can be altered from things that are like, like for STIs, for example. So that's an important one. And we talked a little bit about the pH and the maintenance of the pH and then yeast infections and how those can be related to antibiotic use and BV. And we're, I know we're going to dive into some of the things that can cause BV. So I'll wait to get there. But some of the like things that are important to remember too, trichomonas, gonorrhea, chlamydia. Another one is mycoplasma. Those can be infectious causes and are really, really important to keep an eye on. So if you know you've had exposures, sexual exposures that might have put you at risk for one of those STIs, it's always important to mention that when you are having a workup done because if that can sometimes translate to something that's more emergent, especially if there's a lot of pelvic pain associated with any changes to the vaginal area, discharge, malodorous discharge, which could be like a just off smelling odor, not necessarily fishy, but it just doesn't smell like you. And that can translate into fever, chills and pelvic pain. And that is a really actually very serious condition that needs to be looked at and don't wait on. But then I know we're going to talk more about the non-infectious stuff too. Well, I was going to say, and don't, the other thing with the STIs or sexually transmitted infections is a probiotic is not going to cure that. Exactly. Even though we're talking about vaginal probiotics. Yeah. That is a situation where you will need to be get antibiotics. Exactly. And not <laughs> to be afraid of, because you can always... Don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Like, it's really, really important. I always tell my patients, like, when they hear from me, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're asking their naturopathic doctor... Yes, you need those antibiotics, please. Yes, if we're <laughs> combating gonorrhea or something like that, absolutely. Yeah. A probiotic is just not going to change that. Exactly. All right, so the non-infectious, this is a big question because, oh my gosh, the marketing is obscene and ridiculous, but douching. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, douching. Yeah. Everyone's, oh my gosh. I grew up in, in the, the whole like Summer's Eve, you know, all those <laughs> Summer's Eve commercials. But, and now with social media, I, I even see all sorts of, I don't know, hacks or like quote, healthier douching? I don't know. I'm like, no, it's still douching. And no, you still shouldn't do it. I don't think. My mentor taught me that the vagina is a self-cleaning machine. So you don't need to be sticking stuff up there that smells like summer's eve or lavender or whatever it is. What do you think about douching? <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Exactly. This is a huge topic for me. So I was hired by a feminine hygiene company called Lola that makes organic feminine hygiene products. Really, really clean, very intentional company. Love them so much. And we've developed all sorts of things for the people because they're really, I mean, for our clients, because they're their consumers, because they're really, really excited to have things to use that are safe and clean and started with tampons and pads, but, and then a cup. And now we're into like wipes and lubricants and stuff like that. 
So this always comes up with our customers. But basically, the less we put inside the vagina, I mean, using tampons is great. Of course, you always want to use really like super clean tampons because we don't want to absorb those chemicals into that really thin and absorbable tissue. Same with um, douches though. Douches are one of the non-infectious causes of vaginitis, which is a term for the changes and uh, the irritation that can occur with discharge and completely set off that pH like we're like I was mentioning. So douches can absolutely change the pH. If you do have an odor that seems off-putting, then go get a swab done from your doctor and make sure there's not an infection because also, we all have like a different smell too, which is also part of who we are. But if it seems like it's changed from what your normal is, a douche is only going to very temporarily change that. And then also the long-term effects of douching all the time will be something you don't want to deal with because it can really alter that pH. And remember, yes, it's a self-cleaning. Our <laughs> vagina is very self-cleaning. So when we were focused on creating wipes for Lola and lubricants, it was always about what could be used to not change and alter the pH, what could be used to not change or alter the healthy lactobacilli that we want to be in there and abundant. One of the, I guess, clinical pearls I learned very early on in practice around odor was, is does the odor, is it bothering you or is it bothering your partner? And I had a patient who came in and was like, I'm pretty sure I have an infection. My partner tells me, that I smell. Did the whole workup, nothing, no, nothing sexually transmitted, no BV, no candida, that the pH level was spot on. I didn't notice an odor, you know, when I was doing all the workup. And I said, maybe it's a partner problem, <laughs> maybe. And unfortunately, come to find out the partner was using the excuse of odor to avoid intimacy. And it turned out it was a partner problem. It was had nothing to do with her anatomy, physiology, microbiome, nothing. And so while it's critically important. She did the right thing. She came in, yeah. saw me right away, got fully worked up and yeah. then realized, unfortunately, her partner was using it against her. And I thought, no, 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 no. That's a whole different conversation. Oh, completely. And we could go into so much culturally there in terms of like shame and shame around like body parts and about like periods and things like that, which I mm -hmm. think is really, really being, it's changing now. Mm -hmm. Like we're changing taboos around our different things and even discharge alone, even talking yeah. about discharge. And I'm so glad to be talking about it more in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. What about, because I get asked this a lot, just like sex, I get infections after sex or condoms. I find like some condoms I react to, some condoms I don't, or I have to get a condom with no lubricant, or I need to use lambskin or something, or the lubricant I use, is it possible it's affecting me? Do all any and all of those things affect vaginal health? Definitely. So it all comes back to that pH question too. So well, some of it does. So we know that, for example, semen can change the pH, raise it, so it makes it more alkaline, which is then a perfect growing environment for the bacterial vaginosis bug, Gardnerella. So after sex, if you're noticing like you're getting a fishy odor and you get some irritation and just go get, go get a swab done for sure, but it likely is, it's creating that breeding ground for it to flourish and grow. And also one of the really frustrating things about BV is it can be chronic more than other infections because it creates like this little habitat that is protected, what we call a biofilm. And so it really is good at sticking around and you kind of have to bust through the biofilm. But anyway, it's another conversation. But yeah, so definitely semen can do that. This period blood can do that too. So sometimes if there's a little bit something lingering and then you have a period and you notice those symptoms come on post-period or during period, then go get a swab done and just see. Sometimes it really just self-corrects too. So you might have like a day where you have it 
the odor is a little bit different, but then you get a swab done and nothing needs to be treated. So it's, I think the swabs are important just because then you know for sure if something needs to be treated or not. Yeah. And then yes, and some people are, and then so in terms of condom use or lubricants, for example, or even like oral sex can change the microbiome too and the pH. And we know, for example, people who have a lot more oral sex and like women, women with women more, there's more BV that flourishes just because that oral, the oral secretions saliva can perpetuate a higher pH in the vagina too. So that can, is another risk factor, I guess, which is frustrating, right? <laughs> but I'm so fresh. Oh, so much so, yes. But then you also have to learn like what you, which products are best for you. So if you're using lubricant or condoms, first of all, is it a clean product? Number one, I always think about that, right? Because we know like chemicals, first of all, we don't want the chemical piece at all. As little chemicals as possible on our bodies that are gonna, could potentially change anything. But also the type of, yeah, the type of material it is. Some people are actually allergic to latex. Some people are, have an allergy to something in a lubricant or in not the skin of the, or the, the actual product of the condom. So yeah, finding out what you do best with and sticking with that, I think is great. And then also seeing, does it change the pH? And if it keeps the pH the same, that's such an important thing to look for on the packaging and the you can even ask the company directly, a lot of customer service support. The more questions you ask, the more the companies are going to be better at answering them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I definitely, if it seems sugary, like I've had patients come in itchy or, and I'm like, what did you do? You know, and they're like, so it was strawberry flavored or, you know, it was glow in the oh, yeah. dark or it was, you know. It was edible and grape flavored. I'm like, okay, was it pretty sugary? <laughs> and in every, we know, I mean, for a, a lot of adult females, like we've grown up knowing probably not in our best interest, probably the reason. And so they're like, yeah, but it was fun and it was an anniversary or whatever it was. And it was a party. And, and so they're like, okay, I'm here now to clean up. I'm like, absolutely. Let's do the swab and let's clean up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I totally get it. But absolutely. I love that you just keep promoting the cleaner it is, the better it is just all around for your body, but for the vaginal microbiome as well. Microbiome. Yeah, yep. exactly. What, speaking of microbiomes, what about the gut microbiome? Does the gut microbiome play into your vaginal microbiome? Definitely. Oh my goodness. Yes. So <laughs> I think like when we think of it, the anatomy, we think well, these are very separate cavities, right? We think like there's the gut tube from your mouth down to your anus, and then there's the vaginal cavity, but it, they're different. They're separate, but there is a very extremely thin wall between the two, actually very extremely thin wall. And then that perineum is like the perfect kind of super highway between the perineum is the skin between the anal opening and the vaginal opening. So that is a very short little highway between the two. And so when we do swab, we do get a gut sample, a stool sample, and we look at the microbiome of that. And then we look at the microbiome of the vaginal cavity. We can see very, very similar strains existing between the two for people. And that might differ a little bit from person to person, but we absolutely see that people who take an oral probiotic will translate into more of that, those strains perpetuating in their vaginal cavity. So we know that oral probiotics. You don't have to insert them into as a, as a suppository into the vagina, but you can see that translate from an oral intake of probiotics. So that's why we can use oral probiotics for that are specific for the vaginal cavity and see them work well. And for example, one of the bacteria that can be sometimes found if, and I, I have a good story to go along with this too, Carrie, but basically 
the E. coli is exists in our stool, but shouldn't really be around the urethra, which is an opening very, very tucked away inside the vulva actually. And we don't want that to get in towards the urethra because that can ascend and cause a UTI. Also in the vaginal cavity, we don't want it to hang out either. So it can be another reason for an infection. And that E. coli is definitely, definitely comes from stool. So keeping like your underwear nice and clean, making sure with so we teach girls when they're young, wipe front to back, making sure like post and pre-sex practices are in place where we urinate after sex. That's all that kind of, those are really important practices. But I'll tell a quick story. When I was, I used to be a, a rock climbing guide and backpacking instructor for Outward Bound. Yeah. During my training week, went out into the backcountry and it was like, a week long training and I had lots of experience, but for some reason, it just was like the perfect storm for me personally. And I had the worst, both UTI and vaginal infection, candida infection. And it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been where I'm trying to here be training for these 30 day backpacking trips. And so from that point forward, I developed a really good pre kind of training course for the women that would come on the courses that I taught. And I would take them aside and just give them like the one-on-one about all the hygiene practices that were super critical when you're in the backcountry for 30 days because I went through misery. And so the same thing applies though, just on a day-to-day basis, just how to keep like our feminine hygiene products really clean, making sure to change them out regularly, making sure we pee after sex, making sure that wiping front to back, those are all just really important things to keep that E. coli specifically from getting into the areas we don't want it to be. Even, I love that you created your own course for these women to be like, I went through it, lets you not go through it too. But even things which we talk to our patients about all the time, when you are choosing an order to do things during sex, think the order through or make sure there's a shower involved or wash fingers, hands and toys. Because if you start out with anal sex, and then you think you're going to move into vaginal sex, however that looks, you are now transferring E. coli from the back to the front. And we we are telling you, as two doctors, we've seen it, and you will be in pain. Yeah. He or she won't. You're the partner who is doing the transferring, but you is the person who is getting that E. coli inserted up around the vagina or the urethra. Urinary tract infection, vaginal infection, you're going to be the one who's miserable the next day. So just think those things through. Exactly. The order of fun, wash fingers, hands, and wash all the things and toys. Exactly. (laughs) Be very, you know, change protection if you're doing that kind of thing, because we just want to help you not be in so much misery, whether you are in the backcountry or you are in your bed in your house. We're here for you. <laughs> and same goes with menstrual cups yes. and diaphragms or cervical cups if you still use those, which a lot of people don't know about menstrual cups for sure. And yeah, got to make sure cleaning and keeping them really nice in a good, like keeping them dry and mm-hmm. use the cleaning instructions. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, what about BV? We've sort of talked around it, but that's definitely a really hot subject for a lot of women. I get a lot of questions. Yeah. Chronic BV, I got it once. I can't seem to nip it in the bud. What is BV? Yeah. Bacterial vaginosis is caused by Gardnerella vaginalis. And it is the infection that loves to hang out when that pH goes up above that kind of 4.5 range. So like I said, it's one thing you can do at home really is to kind of get an idea what's your pH looking like. Now, if you're on your period, it's going to automatically be elevated just because period blood does raise the pH. Same with after, if you've had semen exposure, that is going to change the pH. But on a like outside of those moments, you're gonna, you should have about a 4.5 pH. And if it's high, and also in addition, often with BV, you get 
kind of a watery discharge. It can be very itchy. It might feel like a yeast infection. A lot of people get confused. Oh, is this a yeast infection? Often it's not. And I always ask, do you have an odor? Is there an odor? It's like a fishy odor because that amine like odor is what the that bug or that bacteria produce. This is the most common infection that women get. It's also, like I said, it's it can be chronic very easily. So it can hang out. It might be treated with a vaginal or an oral antibiotic. Sometimes that antibiotic doesn't work the first time and needs to be changed to a different one. There are also other types of treatments that can be used vaginally. Ask your doctor about boric acid. It sounds really harsh, but it actually can be very balancing as a treatment. And a lot more gynecologists and women's health practitioners are using it. And you don't ever, ever take boric acid orally, by the way, ever. So huge warning on that. Talk to your doctor about it. It would really be something you'd want to chat with them first about if it's appropriate for you. But sometimes it's a combination of an antibiotic plus the boric acid vaginal capsules that can be used. I have women who have a really good kind of like post-sex routine that they use if they've had a history of chronic BV or post-period routine that they use. And it involves either, sometimes there are also vaginal probiotics that can be good and helpful. And sometimes they might use like a vaginal probiotic or a boric acid capsule. Talk to your doctor about what would be good for you. And then also, yeah, to treat chronic case, often I will do something, I can mention these the bacterial vaginosis bug, Garnerella, really likes to create this biofilm. So you have to, with these chronic infections, sometimes it has a really good biofilm in place. It's like a protective, it's like a little blanket. It likes to just keep growing in and it helps keep it from getting that antibiotic penetrating through and killing it. So what do we do for that? There are certain things that can be helpful. Not a ton of research on the biofilm disruptors, but there is some that I've seen be really useful. So I'll use things in my practice like NAC or garlic orally and actually use them orally to help disrupt the biofilm of the vaginal in what's going on with the vagina. So it's there are some things that can be used and successfully. And I have like a whole plan in place that I use for my patients and kind of steps that I walk through with them. And I also teach other doctors how to do that. But it's really important that you do that with the help of a practitioner, just because a lot of people can't tolerate some of those things and you have to make sure you're sourcing them well and all the things that you need to check for, the any interactions with your medication, all of that is important. And you don't want to make yourself worse. I have had patients, and you probably oh, yeah. have too, who yeah. had the best interest, the best thought at heart that they would try some self-care stuff based on what they read online or saw at like Whole Foods in the natural section. And then they come in and they're like, so I made myself worse. Yeah. <laughs> what did I do and, and how do I back myself out of it? Or now I've gone from BV to exactly. yeast. Now I'm getting exactly. definitely much more yeast. This, the odor is gone, but it's very cottage cheese-like and it feels very yeah. yeasty. Like, exactly. Oops, like, let's fix this. Exactly. And then back to your question about the gut and how does that relate? So if there are things going on with the GI or if you have a really sugary diet or the GI is not happy and you're having a lot of constipation or bloating or gas or something's up with your GI, it's going to impact the health of your vaginal microbiome. So it will absolutely. So sometimes that chronic BV, the way to treat it is to work on the gut. And that's, like I said, what I do all day long. So really just focusing there. If there are symptoms or you're having symptoms, GI symptoms, it's important that you treat both. Okay. Well, before I ask you the menopausal question, I do want to touch on candida, right? Mm -hmm. I do want to touch on, because that is, BV is probably the most common, but a lot of women have experienced a vaginal yeast infection. And for those of you who've never had one, do your best to avoid them. (laughs) They are not fun, but could you explain how is a candida infection different from a BV infection? Yep. So candida, our yeast infection is produced from candida strains, fungal strains that often are associated with symptoms such as discharge, but it's typically like a thicker kind of curd-like discharge, which 
is not very fun at all. And then also a lot of more, there tends to be, tends to be much redder, inflamed, very inflamed, very hot feeling, very, 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 very itchy for women. But BV can be too. So that's why it gets confused. And usually there's not an odor, but very, very uncomfortable. And that can be often the most common ways that um, yeast infections occur are an, a very sugary diet. Sometimes little kiddos will get them too. And from sugar or just like, it can be also a hygiene thing too. So making sure, you know, kiddos are taught at a young age, proper hygiene. Um, and then also antibiotic use is a really common one too. And just a disrupted gut microbiome can also impact the, we typically use an antifungal, very commonly a diflucans used orally to treat it first and see, or like over-the-counter monostat. Often people will use that and that is specific for yeast, but often people have a BFA infection and go grab the monostat and they don't, they realize what they're treating. So it's good to have it just the doc take a look and do a quick swab. But yeah, these infections actually are less common than BV, but they are very common still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, as we get older, as we women get older, we have a lot of vaginal complaints, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, which kind of means like shrinkage of the tissues or a thinning of the tissues, Mm -hmm. even itchiness. I've had women as they get into menopause say, I never had issues with yeast and now I feel like I'm itchy all the time, but it's not necessarily a yeast infection. Can you explain what's happening to the vaginal cells, the vaginal tissue as we get older and our hormones change? Yeah. So as that tissue thins and there's less estrogen, the estrogen actually promotes that glycogen. So, and then as there's less glycogen, there's less lactobacillus, lactobacilli, then our pH entirely changes. So women, as we age and go through menopause, we're more likely to have an elevated pH which as I mentioned, as we talked about, is can perpetuate that BV and more BV to occur or it to be more likely. The other thing that happens is the entire anatomy of the opening of the urethra changes as the atrophy and the kind of vulvar recedes from the opening of that urethra. It can, and also the angle of the urethra changes. So it becomes more horizontal versus vertical. And that just makes it easier for E. coli to ascend. And so there are more, you're more likely to get UTIs and also BV infections as we age. There are ways to treat that. Often women are put on vaginal, different types of estrogen, but often women are put on that. And it's one of the most common things that people, women will be recommended. And it's the National Association of Menopause basically recommends that actually is one of mm-hmm. like a preventative measure for women as we age. It's a really, and you can do it very clean. You don't have to use like a bunch of fillers. You can have it compounded if you'd like, talk to your doctor about it. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the conventional docs around here in my area are using estriol, which is the E3 and they'll have it compounded. It can come in creams or capsules. It can be very, very safe for a lot, a lot of women. It's not like taking hormones orally or systemically, but it does keep the tissue really healthy down there and it keeps it estrogenized, which is actually really important to keep from getting those infections. And then you just have to be a lot more careful about the hygiene and all the other things that we mentioned. Do you ever have patients use or have seen that they've had good success with the, besides estrogen, with things like just like vitamin E oil. Yes. Mm -hmm. Some sort of clean oils that help not feel so dry, not feel so itchy because of the dryness, not necessarily because they have an infection to be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Right. Exactly. Because it can, we can be more dry just generally in the body, but vaginally too, as we age. And yeah, definitely. I see actually women use like coconut oil, which is also very antimicrobial and that's kind of lubricating. And then kind of more of like a moisturizer. It's more like moisturizing. It doesn't change the tissue necessarily, but it can keep some infections a little bit at bay. And I've seen gynecologists recommend that too. So a little bit of coconut oil or like vitamin E oil, and it can be yeah, really nice. 
So some, a lot of women say, you know, I don't need, you know, it's true. Not everybody needs vaginal estrogen. It's true, but, but there are, and there are other ways to keep some moisture there. I will say, and I learned this the hard way with patients, if you're going to use coconut oil, make sure you separate your cooking coconut oil or baking coconut oil from your vaginal coconut oil, because (laughs) (laughs) you do not want them necessarily one and the same. What I mean by that is don't use the same jar for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you're going to use a coconut oil jar for lubrication, keep that separate by your bed or in your bathroom. (laughs) Don't have that in the kitchen, in the pantry. Exactly. Everybody's using it for everything. (laughs) (laughs) And you have a naturopathic doctor, they might be able to help you compound something like that you can use as a capsule that yes. can be nice and like low mess, little mess. Yes. <laughs> and there are some companies out there, which is yeah, great that you can find exactly. online and mm-hmm. sometimes even in the natural grocery stores that they have a coconut, like a coconut oil, vitamin E combination or yeah. suppository that can be really nice exactly, and refreshing yep. and helpful, which is exactly. wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I should clarify. I did not find that mistake. I had a patient tell me she was, again, very early in my practice. She was going to try coconut oil and she just chose the coconut oil that was next to her stove and thought, well, this this is coconut oil. This is what I'll use. So she told me about it. And I was like, so you might want to separate. You might want two jars, an upstairs jar and a downstairs jar. Because <laughs> I had, I don't know, it was just funny. She's like, oh, it didn't dawn on me that I'm also using it for cooking and baking and yeah, vaginally. <laughs> oh, how funny. All right. Well, as we wrap up and given that this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast and we have been talking about all things vagina and vaginal microbiome, what are like two or three things you would like to leave all the listeners with? Yes. So two or three things. So the less we mess with the vaginal cavity, the better. Remember, it is a self-cleaning area. And then just that, that also includes like, what are you using to wash down there on a daily basis? If you're using some sort of soap, always think about like something really, really neutral, something super clean. You can always check the environmental working group. What's on your products? What are you using down there on your vulva, the external part? But what are you using down there to wash with? And likely the less, the better. Also, we all have our own natural and very healthy, like that is our own smell. And that is part of who we are. And if you have noticed a change in that, or you have some itching or discharge or something that just seems off, definitely reach out to your doc to ask. Remember the GI and how the health of our GI impacts that vaginal cavity. So definitely, if you're noticing that you're having more issues with your gastrointestinal system, then chat with your doctor about that too. Chat about what kind of probiotics might be good, like as a prevention, preventative, kind of ongoing. But remember, probiotics, you can take them, but you can also do prebiotic foods and a diversity of good, healthy plant fibers in your diet really do perpetuate and promote healthy and diverse gut microbiome, which then translates into your vaginal microbiome. So yeah, those are my main, yeah, I think main takeaways. I love it. I love it. So helpful and tactical. So where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? Where can they follow you? Yeah. So I am on Instagram. That's really the best place to start because you can get to my website from there and see what I'm up to there. And that's D-R Karina, C-O-R-I-N-A, Dunlap, D-U-N-L-A-P. And then, yep. And then that's also my website, addresso.com for my website. Amazing. Dr. Karina Dunlap, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on here, talking about such a private topic so openly, because I think we... Everyone, everyone needs to know more about it. We just don't get taught about it in school or young, growing up. And there's so many questions, but because it's somewhat taboo, people are afraid to ask. And I love that you just were so open and straightforward with all your answers today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. 
I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.